Chapter four of Audrey Craven by Mason Clare. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter four. There was a certain truth in Hardy's description of Ted Haviland. Ted had all a baby's fascination, a baby's irresponsibility, and a baby's rigid tenacity of purpose. There, perhaps, the likeness ended. At any rate, Ted had contrived to plan a career for himself at the age of seven, had said nothing about it for ten years, and then quietly carried it through in spite of circumstances and the influential members of his family. These powers had been against him from the first. His mother had died in giving him birth, and as his father chose to hold him directly responsible for the tragedy, his early years were passed somewhat under a cloud. Catherine was his only comfort and stay. The girl had five years the start of him, which gave her an enormous advantage in dealing with the uncertain details of life. Her method was simplicity itself. It was summed up in the golden rule, take your own way first, and then let other people take theirs. It was in this spirit that, mounted on a table, she painted the great battle-piece that covered the north wall of the nursery, and with equal heroism she met the unrighteous nemesis that waits upon mortal success and skipped off to bed at three o'clock in the afternoon as if to a tea-party ted worshipped his sister because of her courage and resource because of her fuzzy black hair cut short like a boy's for the strength of her long limbs and for a hundred other reasons and katherine loved ted with a passion all the more intense because he was the only creature she knew that would let itself be loved comfortably for papa was an abstraction and nurse erred on the opposite extreme being a terribly concrete reality with a great many acute angles about her which was a drawback to demonstrations of affection one day katherine mixed some colours for ted and taught him how to manage a pencil and paintbrush that was just before she went to school and then ted said to himself i too will paint battle-pieces and he painted them in season and out of season and was obliged to hide them away in drawers and cupboards and places for there was no one to care for them now that kathy was gone as for that headstrong young person her method was so far successful that when she was eighteen it began to be rumoured in the family that katherine would do great things but that ted was an idle young beggar the boy had shown no talent for anything in particular and nobody had thought of his future not katherine she was too busy with her own and certainly not his father who at the best of times lived piously in the past with the memory of his dead wife and was day by day loosening his hold upon the present for ted papa became more and more an abstraction until a higher power withdrew him altogether from earthly affairs mr haviland had lived in a melancholy gentility on a pension which died with him and at his death the children were left with nothing but the pittance they inherited from their mother when the family met in solemn conclave to decide the fate of katherine and ted it learned that katherine true to her old principles had taken the decision into her own hands she meant to live for art and by art and uncle james was much mistaken if he thought that an expensive training was to be flung away upon a niggling amateur at any rate she had taken a studio in pimlico and furnished it and as she had come of age yesterday there was really no more to be said ted of course would live with her and choose his own profession but ted's profession was not so easily chosen the boy had brought a perfectly open mind to the subject 
and discuss the reasons for and against the church the bar the bank and a trade with admirable clearness and impartiality but when invited to make a selection from among the four he betrayed no enthusiasm finally he was asked if he had any objection to the medical profession and replied that he had none having indeed never thought about it on the whole he considered that the idea was not a bad one and he would try it he tried it for a year and a half but not altogether with success he had been advised to take up surgery for a great man had noticed his long sensitive fingers and told him that he had the hands of a born surgeon he managed to get through the hours in the dissecting room standing on his head from time to time as a precaution against faintness but his heroism gave way before the horrors of the theatre soon with indignation naturally mingled with pleasure at this fulfilment of its own predictions the family heard that ted had flung up the medical profession that the boy had the hands of a born surgeon was considered to be an aggravation of his offence it constituted it flying in the face of providence when ted drew attention to the fact that he had passed first in comparative anatomy his uncle james told him that stupidity was excusable and that his abilities only proved him a lazy good-for-nothing fellow he then offered him a berth in his office with board and lodging in his own house and as ted was in low water there was nothing for it but to accept mr james pigott remained master of the situation without a suspicion of its pathetic irony ted whose intellect was incapable of adding two and two together had to sit on a high stool and work endless sums in arithmetic ted whose soul was married sub rosa to ideal beauty had to live in a house where every object had the same unwinking self-complacent ugliness and where the cook was the only artist whose genius was appreciated ted was a little bit of a stoic and he could have borne the long impressive dinners and the unstudied malice of the furniture if only his uncle would have let him alone but mr pigott was nothing if not conscientious and now that he had him under his thumb he made superhuman efforts to understand his nephew's character and to win his confidence the poor gentleman might just as well have tried to understand the character of an asymptote or to win the confidence of a will-o'-the-wisp and nothing but misery can come of it when a middle-aged city merchant born without even a rudimentary sense of humour suddenly determines to cultivate that gift for the benefit of a boy who can detect humour in the wording of an invoice well he never knew how it happened his mind might have been running on an illustrated edition of the cash accounts of messrs pigott and company but at last ted made an arithmetical blunder so unprecedented so astounding that a commercial career was closed to him forever stupidity is excusable said uncle james if you had been stupid i would have forgiven you but you have ability enough sir and it follows that you are careless criminally careless and i wash my hands of you and like pilate he suited the action to the word so it happened that as catherine was putting the last touches to her great picture the witch of atlas and to her sketch of an elaborate future fate stepped in and altered all her arrangements she called it fate for she never could bring herself to say it was ted for months she had been living in a dream in which she was no longer a poor artist toiling in a london garret she was on the highest peak of atlas in the land where as you know dreams last forever where the light comes down unfiltered through the transcendental air and where owing to the unmelting ice and snow the shadows are always colours to live for art and by art 
she had not yet realized the incompatibility of these two aims for katherine was as uncompromising in this as in everything else and refused to work in a liberal and enlightened spirit she believed that beauty is the only right or possible or conceivable aim of the artist and she was ready to sacrifice a great deal for this belief for this she slept and worked in one room which she left bare of all but necessary furniture under which head in defiance of all laws of political economy she included a small pantheon of plaster deities for this she stinted herself in everything except air and exercise which were cheap and for this she refused to join housekeeping with her cousin nettie thereby giving lasting offence to an influential branch of the family at the end of three years she had begun to hope and to feel the quickening of new powers and as her nature expanded her art took on a subtler quality a subdued and delicate sensuousness which it must be owned had very little in common with the flesh and blood of ordinary humanity she was painting steadily in a pallid fervour of concentrated excitement the ease of her pliant hands contrasting with her firm lips and knitted brows when ted burst into the studio with a thin gladstone bag in one hand and a fat portfolio in the other his face told her of a crisis in his history it was humorous pathetic deprecating and determined all at once not the face of a boy dropping in casually at tea-time when asked if anything had gone wrong at the office he replied probably by this time they lost their brightest ornament this morning you see they said among other things that it wasn't the least use my stopping as i hadn't any head for figures which was odd considering that it's just with figures i've been most successful but katherine was to judge for herself he sat down leisurely and began untying his portfolio then he caught sight of the witch of atlas that's going to be a stunning picture kathy said he he stood before the canvas for a moment and then turned abruptly away when he looked at katherine again his face was set and a little flushed he seemed to be making a calculation a thing he had always some difficulty in doing you've been at it practically all your life but it took you one two three five years real hard work didn't it before you could paint like that yes ted five years hard labor with costs it'll take me four thank heaven i've learned anatomy katherine said nothing she had opened the portfolio and spread out the drawings and was hanging over them in amazement how when and where the boy had done the thing she could not imagine there were finished studies in anatomy of heads and limbs in every conceivable attitude there were shilling drawing-books crammed with illustrations of most possible subjects and some impossible ones loose sketches done on the backs of envelopes the fly-leaves of books and fearful revelation of artistic depravity the ruled pages of ledgers and in every one of them there was power and wild exuberant vitality it was genius rampant and undisciplined but unmistakable and she told him so her first feeling sent the blood to her cheeks for pure joy her second drove it back to her heart again katherine was one of those people who can see a thing instantly in all its possible bearings and at the present moment she saw clearly not only that ted was a genius but that his genius had everything to learn and that it would take the whole of his tiny income to teach it while the necessities of his board and lodging in the meanwhile would more than double her own expenses she saw herself doomed to the production of an unbroken succession of pot-boilers and for the next few years at least ted's career was only possible at the sacrifice of her own 
yes she said at last sitting down and tying the strings of the portfolio tenderly you'll have to work hard for four or five years or so and then you'll have to wait art is long you know and high art's the longest of all and when she told him that it would be a great help to her if they clubbed together ted actually believed her so unaware was he of the complexities of life katherine understood why ted had gone to guide's hospital but when she asked him idiot why he had wasted a year at his uncle piggott's office he said that he wanted to prove to his uncle piggott's limited capacity that he was utterly incapable of managing anybody's business but his own katherine asked no more questions for she was trying to think then when she had done thinking she took the witch and turned her with her face to the wall and when she looked at ted again it was with a choking sensation and for the first time for three years she was aware that she had a heart beating under the blue overall she had come down from atlas faster than she had gone up after all the climate there is frightfully cold and there are passes on that lonely mountain which overhang the bottomless pit where some have perished very miserably katherine had escaped the abyss and left behind her the dreams and the golden mists and the starry peaks of ice it was dark in the studio and a voice was heard inquiring whether the young gentleman was going to stay for supper because if a basin of oatmeal porridge ain't enough for one mrs rogers was great in the argument a fortiori end of chapter four recording by expatriate in bangor maine